0: Welcome to ACPA's Aged Care Today podcast, where we discuss issues that matter most in aged and community care, seniors' housing, and retirement living. We invite ACPA members and other listeners to submit your own questions, which may be used and answered in future episodes. Please use your phone to record your question, and remember to include your name, location, position, and organisation. Send your questions to media at ACPA.asn.au. Today's podcast will focus on ACPA's advocacy objectives and actions. Here to discuss the matter are Tom Simonson, our ACPA CEO, and Roald Versteeg, ACPA's General Manager of Policy and Advocacy. Welcome, Tom and Roald. Let's start by talking about what advocacy at ACPA looks like.
1: Thanks, Geraldine. Um, We've had a a really interesting journey since ACPA's been set up. We we came together as an organisation in July 2022, and we had a small window of opportunity to really establish ourselves as a respected voice for our sector. It's the first time ever that we've had one peak body for aged care. Uh, But that honeymoon period was never going to last very long and we really had to get going really soon uh, to bring together that that advocacy voice. What do we sound like? What is our voice? How do we represent members? How do we get issues across? How do we get people to understand what we want and what we need? And how do we want to be seen and viewed as an organisation and a sector? And we've been working really hard to develop that voice, that tone. One of the things that we've been very focused on is being seen as a voice of common sense, Uh, building that feeling that when ACPA walks into a room, whether it's with a minister or with the media or with consumers or unions or whoever it is, that what we say makes sense, that what we suggest is implementable, that we understand the problems, but that we also understand the solutions. And that means sometimes we're not going to be uh, screaming from the hilltops what our position is, because we're trying to persuade, we're trying to make sure that the people who can change the lot of our members and of older people understand what they need to do to make the lives of older people better. So there's a lot of explaining. There's a lot of uh, very, very diligent uh, conversation and engagement with a whole range of stakeholders to make sure people understand what we need and why it matters. What will happen if the change doesn't come? the so what question. And I think we're getting really uh, good at that. We've built a really strong team and that team is led by Roald. So
2: Roald, you might have some reflections on this. Thanks, Tom. So I might just expand on that a little bit in terms of what that looks like tactically. So um, when we think about how we engage with government, when we think about how we represent the sector, we do that in multiple ways. So. Part of it is media and making media statements. Um, And and I think sometimes people think that that is all that we do, that we need to be out there and being loud in the media. But that's just one small part of how we actually affect change. So uh, we develop submissions, uh, we develop policy positions. And based on member input, uh, what, what we've heard through our forums, through our surveys, we actually shape those to represent and reflect uh, the views of members. And we use those uh, key issues, messages to engage with the Department of Health and Aged Care at, at multiple levels. So it's not just with uh, the, the, the DEP the SEC um, or the First Assistant Sec- Secretary, um, it's with a whole range of teams. But we also engage politically, and it's not just with the ministers. Of course, the ministers are very, very important, uh, but that includes the Labor backbenchers. uh, That includes uh, the Liberal Party, the Nationals, um, the crossbench and the Greens. So, you know, we have multiple mechanisms in which we try to engage and affect change to policy.
0: So, Tom and Rowald, AGPA has now been in existence for 12 months with this new approach to advocacy what do you think it's actually led to
1: it's a really good question uh, geraldine because we we definitely have to prove our worth we have to prove that the way we do advocacy is successful otherwise there's no point um but what we've started to see is we've been able to build really strong relationships and really positive discourse with a whole range of the different stakeholders, government, obviously, but also other players in our space, uh, the consumer advocates, unions, universities, um, state and territory governments. And what we've started to see is those discussions have led to change. We this year, for example, saw a, a, a more significant indexation rate of funding than aged care has had in many years, largely because the government agreed to stick to the independent advice um, of the new pricing authority. And that was at the very, very strong urging of the sector. Uh, And we were very, very clear that if you were gonna have independent advice, you had to uh, do what that advice said, the government has done so. Um, None of these things that we achieve are ever going to be perfect. That's the other thing we've always got to keep in mind. Everything is a compromise, but we feel like where we put forward solutions uh, people are listening and they're responding another example is on the hours that student visa holders can work so um, they the hours that they could work were expanded during covid and then there was a suggestion that at the end of this financial year 30 june those hours would be contracted back to where they were before covid now we have a whole huge number of of student visa holders working in aged care. And that felt like a really retrograde step to take away work hours from our sector just at the moment when we're trying to implement 24-7 registered nurses and 200 minutes of care. And because of very, very concerted advocacy with government, we were the only sector, aged care was the only sector that saw that deadline moved back by six months, which is what we had asked for. So I think where we're able to put forward those solutions and build those positive relationships that, can yes, we can absolutely disagree, but they're respectful and they're
2: based on solutions, I think we are seeing good outcomes. Thanks, Tom. I think you've covered that quite well. I think the thing I'd like to highlight is that a really core part of our approach is that we never raise an issue without an associated solution, and that's really important because, If you're just talking about issues with the government, um, yes, you raise the issue. However, if you don't also provide the solution at the same time, you often get a solution that the government might think is a good idea that actually doesn't work for the sector. So whenever we raise something, we ensure that the solution that we're proposing with the associated issue actually does work for providers. And we find we get a much, much
1: warmer welcome when we're able to walk through the door with a solution. There is a sense in government, and it's not just aged care, it's lots of sectors, that people go to government with problems and then say, government, fix it, and if you don't, uh, you've failed. And governments respond really badly to that. We, as a sector, need to be the ones that bring the solutions, that say, if you've got a problem with workforce, here's how to solve it. We have a problem with financial sustainability, here's how to solve it. An example of that, is the conversation about consumer co-contributions um, and, and changing the sustainable uh, the, the funding sustainability of our sector for the next 10 or 20 years, not just the next six months. And so out of the, the budget, we got a financial sustainability task force tasked to look at just those issues, which I was then appointed to as a representative of providers. So, you know, bring forward a solution and you've got a much better chance of getting uh, progress and getting that solution implemented.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, and I think one thing to note on that is that when we provide the solutions, they're not always accepted, and the government often has a differing view. But they know where we stand, and we are consistent in terms of what we propose um, and the uh, solutions to the cha- the challenges. And some sometimes we'll get them to shift over time, and sometimes we won't. But you know we are consistently providing those solutions
0: can you talk to us about the role of media and how acpa utilizes the media in ensuring that our solutions are heard
1: yeah it's 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 something that we spend a lot of time thinking about one of the big priorities for us at acpa is really building a positive um, well thought of uh, reputation for our sector We have been buffeted by COVID, by the Royal Commission. Um, We have endless stories when things go wrong, but the good things are very rarely heard about. And there are loads of them. So one of the things we've done very consciously with the media is try to build that positive reputation to show that aged care is actually delivering good outcomes, that our members are providing uh, a, a good and respectful uh, set of services to uh, to older Australians. We, we, we have to acknowledge where there are problems, obviously, and the Royal Commission showed us plenty of them. So that's the other thing we do when we're talking in the media. What we're trying not to do is be defensive. When someone puts forward a genuine issue, we need to accept that. And we do. But then put back to the person asking the question why it's happening. Now, if we've got significant financial issues and members are unfortunately having to close sites or close down altogether, helping people to understand why that might be happening. It's happening because we're not a financially sustainable sector. It's happening because of the significant pressure of workforce shortages, of reform, the perfect storm that we're dealing with of all of those things at the same time and in droves. So really, we use media not so much to get uh, government to hear something, uh, unless they are. We've told them in meetings, and they're still not listening. That's when you use media to get your advocacy positions out there in a in a more assertive way. But to really explain to the community why we are where we are and where we need to end up, absolutely, where government doesn't do what we need them to do, we have to assertively say so. But we have to. We we have to work that process in a way that's most likely to get us the outcome. We have to engage, we have to put forward the solution. If we don't get it, that's when we have to go public. I think there's often a tendency to think you have to go public as step one. You have to argue the point before you've actually said to government what it is you need. And if you're not doing that, you're not doing that, you're not doing your job. And we're trying really hard to change that narrative. Be in the media to position the sector as the people who are going to make older people's lives better and then, you know, everything should lead from there.
2: Thanks, Tom. And I think I'd just add to that. Um, So we're actually expanding our media team uh, so that we can focus more on the positive stories in aged care. So looking at how we might be able to celebrate successes, um, sharing those good news stories, um, looking at, new and innovative models. Uh, This will be a journey. Uh, We do need to make time to actually do this proactive and positive media, and we're still building the team, but it's a necessary journey to uh, help build the reputation of aged care.
0: Thanks, Roel. Thanks, Tom. And I think that's also a great opportunity to highlight that Aged Care Employee Day is coming soon, and we will be encouraging all of our members to submit videos and to write stories talking about the wonderful work that is done in aged care. So that also can form part of the storytelling within our sector.
1: I think that's a really Excellent point. Uh, We need all the evidence we can get, the concrete case studies, the fantastic examples, uh, because often we are defending actually in the media against an accusation that the sector hasn't done the right thing. Often when we're called by journalists, it's because there is a problem, because there is some controversial issue, a provider closing their doors or um, you know a service in financial trouble, or an accusation of of neglect or poor treatment, um, and whilst we have to answer those questions and we have to defend the sector, uh, particularly where those things those those uh, those things aren't aren't true or are are unfair, uh, we also have to be able to reply with the good. We have to be able to show where stuff's going really well. We do, on the whole, get good feedback from residents, from um, uh, package recipients, from people who experience. Uh, the Commonwealth Home Support Programme, from people in retirement living, in seniors housing, we get lots of good feedback, but you wouldn't know it. You might in your local area hear about it in the local paper, Uh, you might engage with your local community, but the sector as a whole has not been good at putting forward that positive side, that positive view to counter the view that many sadly still hold that we're not doing our job, that we're not where we need to be, and that uh, there is no such thing as good care in aged care. We need to refute that, but we need to do it with examples. So if you have good examples, show them to us, and we will absolutely
2: hail them from the the hilltops. I think one of the things we're also trying to do in the media is always talk about the benefits for the older person. So we want to focus on the older people, because that's what the community cares about. That's what the government cares about. And so we need to really bring back everything we do to actually supporting in quality care and improving the lives of older Australians. And when we do that, it actually helps ground our positions, um, our conversations, um, to really bring home, you know, what it is we are doing and why. And that that point is really at the core of
1: everything that we do, it's something that members have absolutely responded positively to is the change in our language to really focus less on the balance sheet of the provider or or the financial issue for the organisation, although those things are always there and are critical to lead every conversation with what does this do for an older person or the people who care and uh, care for them and love them uh, or people who will need our services into the future how does this change that we're advocating for make life better for them or how does this uh this difficult situation make life worse for them and we generally get a substantially better response when we do that and ultimately we as a, a system of providers, we are the people who are with older people every single day. We're the ones who are there for them, supporting them, uh, showing them that respect. And and if we can't you know, really speak from that perspective and show that we're doing it, we're in it for the love, we, we won't get where we need to be. And I think that's a really important part of the DNA we're trying to create at ACPA, that if we walk into a room advocating for something, the other person on the other side of the desk needs to be really confident that we're advocating for it because it will lead to better outcomes for older people. Yes, of course, it needs to lead to better outcomes for our members. But we're here for older people. They're not here for us. So that uh, human being at the centre of everything is really critical to me. I know it's critical to the rest of our team.
0: With ACPA's approach to advocacy, Do you feel that all members understand that approach? Do you feel they're all on board with it? And if they're not, what can they do about it?
1: Well, I think it's a really fair point. We advocate as ACPA in a very different way than has necessarily been the case in the past. We are a quite different organisation um. Obviously, we're the result of the bringing together of two sets of membership from two predecessor organizations, as well as bringing in a number of organizations that were never members of either. And that means that our style was always going to be different. But I think what we've seen is that most members, certainly that I talk to, because they can see outcomes and benefits and better relationships with, with the stakeholders as a result of this process, most people seem to be at least willing to give us a chance to give it a go or to continue to grow this, this model. Um, and also, I've had I've had some very robust conversations with members who feel we should be more vocal on a particular issue or just more generally. But when we're able to have the conversation as to why we've chosen not to, to go in that particular direction, most members are most members are are quite happy to either give us a go or agree to disagree the other thing to say is that we are assertive i think it's a myth that because we really focus on building those relationships that we're not strong that our advocacy is wishy-washy or woolly uh, the reality is our advocacy is very effective the most effective advocacy you will see is done by organisations with really strong infrastructure, policy teams, government relations professionals, media teams, whatever it is, and really strong, respectful relationships with the people who can make change. And we are building that because we want to be those, one of those most effective advocacy organisations. And um, What we don't want to be are the people who are kind of shouting from the outside, and then the door is slammed in their face, and they have no influence over the outcome. We we don't want that because we don't think it's in our members' interests, and we certainly don't think it's going to lead to a a better set of services for older people. But if members have questions about it, I am always willing to have that conversation. So is role. So are other members of the team. Our state managers. You know, I'm more than happy to come and talk to boards, groups of CEOs. We have regular engagement with. Members through our national forums, our state forums, um, ask the question. You won't get a defensive response. We won't be angry that you've asked it. You, You have that right. Ask the question and we'll have the discussion. And look, if members said to us, this is not working, do it differently, members own ACPA. That is what we would have to do. But that is not
2: what members are telling us. A couple of things to add on my end. Uh, so firstly, you can reach out to us directly. Uh, the policy team is a great team to reach out to if you have any questions or issues. Their email address is policy at And members have reached out to us. Um, and like Tom, we've had some really good and robust conversations about the challenges in the sector. And that is really helpful for two reasons. So one, we actually get, insight from the member on the issues that matter most to them and why and that often gives us further information that we may not have had before which can then feed in to our process but also we can actually share more about our approach um, and as Tom mentioned just because we're not talking about it in the media necessarily doesn't mean we're not talking about it with the politicians with the decision makers so you know for example there might be an issue that comes up um, that is of, uh, you know, really importance to the sector. And often we're on the phone within minutes to the minister's office, to the to the minister, um, to um, uh, head bureaucrats uh, at the Department of Health and Aged Care. So we actually are progressing these issues in a really responsive uh, and robust way. It's just that it's not necessarily going to be in the media. Well, and I think that's one of those things that,
1: that we we will always struggle with. We have an incredibly complex sector with a huge number of issues, and to appropriately and helpfully communicate to to our membership, to our stakeholders, everything that we're doing is a journey for us. Um, we need to get better at it. We get this feedback regularly that that people don't necessarily know what we're doing, but. If something has been raised with us, as Roel has said, we are almost certainly already raising it because most of the time it's not the first time we've heard about the issue. Or if it is the first time, we'll be on the phone to somebody that day. Uh, We have a huge number of contacts across government, across state governments, territory governments, uh, wherever it happens the issue is. And we take it really seriously when members raise things. When they raise a problem, we either wanna know the answer before they ask, or we need to find the answer. And and often we can find an answer. Often where people are coming to us with really specific issues for their organization, an issue with the commission or an issue with funding or an issue with uh, their relationship with a, a state branch of a union, we're able to help. We're able to give an answer or put someone in touch or get someone in our team with expertise to call them back within the day. Um, so, you know, that's, it's a really important thing to remember. Engage with us. Just because you haven't seen something on the front page of your local tabloid does not mean we're not across it and not doing anything about it. In fact, quite the opposite.
0: Since the Royal Commission, there has been a huge amount of reform change. Members seem to be in a constant um, wave of change How do you work with the members to create a vision for aged care moving forward? Well,
1: one of the most important things for us in developing this positive reputation for ACPA, positive reputation for our sector, but also to really position ourselves at the centre of reform. So we're not just passively receiving reform, but we're a part of designing it because after all, we're the ones who deliver it one of the key parts of that is having a vision for the future. And because our sector and its peaks have been so buried in the detail of change since the Royal Commission, and frankly, before that, and there there are so many issues in our sector, it's been really hard to set aside time and money and, and, and resources to do anything about that. And often. We are focusing on issues of today or at most next week or next month, as opposed to issues of next decade. And that's where we need to spend much more time. And one of the things that we've um, had the, the agreement of our board to put into our strategic plan is a focus on the future. The Royal Commission gave us a kind of blueprint, but once the recommendations of the Royal Commission are delivered, what comes next? What if some of those recommendations don't actually work? What if? We don't have enough detail about what the recommendations should look like in practice. We need to start putting forward the positive vision. We need to bring our members along on a journey of reform that is reform suggested by us, as opposed to reform given to us that we are then just the passive implementers of. We have great suggestions in our membership. We have great suggestions within our team. We know what a lot of the solutions are and how they could look. And so you will see us and hear us spend a lot more time talking about those big picture solutions, of course, still focusing on the day to day issues, because we need to make sure that providers uh, are still able to operate um, at the end of the day. But you will hear us and see us talking much more about the future. A great example of this was our financial sustainability uh, summit that we held in Canberra, um, where we brought together a huge range of stakeholders, our members, unions, consumers, government, universities, academics, uh, etc., to talk about the future of funding for our sector. What will it look like in 10 years? You know, conversations like Should we have a dedicated levy that pays for aged care? That was one of the recommendations of the Royal Commission that essentially disappeared without a trace because it's politically difficult. Should we be talking about people contributing more? towards aged care very controversial um what does that mean for inheritances what does it mean for the tax system um it's a it's a really challenging conversation but it's very future focused i
2: would say it is brave and that's the kind of thing you want your peak talking about thanks tom i think you've covered that quite comprehensively um i think just probably one small thing to highlight on my end and um I think one of the keys to creating a vision for aged care is really around gathering the expertise and experience of our members to feed into the process because our members are the ones providing quality care day in, day out. They've got solutions that they've done locally. They've got solutions um, that they found for their own workforce, for their residents, for, for their clients. And we really want to tap into that experience and expertise as part of creating that vision, so that we're actually creating something that will work on the ground and will actually add to the current reform process.
1: Well, and can I say, you know, if we're going to be seen as the people with solutions, this is the way to do it. We have to get people together. To talk about and design the solutions. I don't know about you, Rold, but there are so many times in my career as in advocacy when I've walked into the office of a politician and they've kind of looked daggers at me and said, "So, what problem are you bringing me today?" Um, yeah, we actually you know, these these are these are opportunities to make change. We have a moment in time where everybody accepts aged care needs to improve. We need to do better, but actually, we need help. To do that, we need more funding, we need more public confidence, we need a stronger workforce. We've got a moment to make change that could last decades, and we can't miss it. And we need our members' help with that. We're here to help, we're here to support you, but we need your help too, because we haven't got all
2: the answers.
0: Thank you for listening to ACPA's Aged Care Today podcast. To find out more about ACPA, visit our website acpa.asn.au. If you are interested in becoming a member, please contact members at acpa.asn.au.